reaching up, reaching over, and reaching out. We are New Life Christian Fellowship. For service times or recordings of our weekly messages, please visit us online at www.nlcfchurch.org. Waiting for the Holy Spirit, like, what, what a topic. Like, that, that is loaded. If you should have given me a series, like three, for waiting for the Holy Spirit, and then you give me Acts, and, and the problem is, is you're, you're giving me something that is... Um, well, actually, it builds on my last message. I don't know if you, re- did, you didn't think about that probably, but it built on my last one that I preached here in that, let me, let me just bring you up to speed. So, so there's two things, two, two trains of thought that we're going to have to go through here today. Num- number one, in, in, in our lives, the spiritual life, there's spiritual growth. Like, it's the things that we do to grow spiritually, right? Okay, there's stuff that we do, like... However you want to put it, those who say, you know what, I asked Jesus into my heart, and then life just goes, the Bible's just not like that. It's going, look, there's stuff that you do intentionally to grow. That's called your spiritual growth. But then, how do you live? Like, it has to impact how you live, right? So then there's that, that, that practical aspect of how do I live, and waiting for the Holy Spirit actually, it, it, it gives us both of those, that title alone, so... I'm going to open my Bible, this one, and if you have yours, um, go back to Acts chapter 1, and I'll just, I'll just leave it open there, uh, somewhere here. <clears throat> okay. In 1906, I'm going, to, I'm going to, I built part of my message around what I thought Bill was, was looking for, and, and I'm not sure if he was looking for anything, but I'm going, to, I'm going to try to cover that. So listen, in 1906, William Seymour led a new movement, a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was that would begin a new denomination, would, be, would begin a whole new outpouring and it started in 1906. With that new movement of the Holy Spirit, it lasted until about 1915. With that new movement and the new outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there was things like uncontrollable laughter. There was things like slain in the Spirit. There was things like Holy Spirit blowing wind, blowing people over. Uh, gold fillings in teeth where there had been regular other fillings like malgam. Um, There was gold dust coming down from the rafters. There was feathers from angels' wings coming. And this all started in 1906. I'm not going to give you a history. I I listened to lots of podcasts. I took courses with, with people from this denomination. And actually, I took courses in school f- with people from this denomination on what would be, in, in, in during a time, what was actually called the second or the third wave. And I usually don't talk about denominations, but it was the second or third wave. I don't know if you're, you're following me here. And it cropped up again. And fi- you, you might be very surprised in all the world. Oh, the, the first one was on a Sousa Street in Los Angeles, California, 1906, lasted till 1915. 
this next one actually cropped up in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and it started about 1994, and it was called the Toronto Blessing, and it was led by a guy by the name of John and his wife, Carol Arnott. Uh, like I said, it probably was known as the second or third wave of the movement of the Holy Spirit. Now, how could one know? The disciples, they would have said that the original was back in uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, that was the original new wave of the Holy Spirit. Theirs was the, Azusa Street was the second Maybe this was the third, might have been the fourth move. But Bill told me that we're to wait for the Holy Spirit, and the disciples in Acts chapter 1 were told to wait for the Holy Spirit as well. Maybe this was another movement. Maybe it wasn't. There are two streams of thinking here on waiting for the Holy Spirit. Two streams of thinking. One way of thinking is that we receive some of the Holy Spirit when we ask Jesus into our hearts. Somewhere down the line, we, we've got some of the Holy Spirit. Somewhere down the line, you receive what's called a second anointing. And I'm not sure what brings us on. It might be the laying on of hands. It might be a special service that you go to. And then you get the complete filling of the Holy Spirit. And then you're, you are what's called anointed. That's one way of thinking. This anointing is what gives authority and power. But the problem with this way of thinking is that it leaves us all feeling somewhat inadequate and second rate. Especially when we meet people of that class that believe this way. And I will come straight out and tell you, I don't believe this way. I think uh, it, it doesn't work this way. But what happens inside is, is if any of you, any, anybody else who hasn't had this, this so-called second feeling, we feel somewhat inadequate. We feel, hold it. What happened? How, what did they get that I didn't get? When they used the words, uh, the words, God told me, did they hear him? They must have heard him in a way that I didn't. They have something I don't. And it, it creates uh, a system in where they have authority, we have less authority. But let me tell you the truth, that God actually is God for all of us, and he is not arbitrary in that way, but that you have the complete and fullness of the Holy Spirit when you ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Second Peter 1 says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. John Stott, uh, John Stott was coined by Time Magazine, as if Time Magazine has any authority, but they coined him as one of the 100 most influential men of the 20th century. He died, I think, about 2011, or 21st century. He died about 2011, and he was a, a theologian in the Anglican in the Anglican tradition, but he was very good. And his quote, he wrote this. He said this, We do not need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. He came on the day of Pentecost, and he has never left the church. John Stott's right. But let me also tell you, there's more to the story than that. We do not wait, need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, he said. So... Um, 
He may have been totally right, but I think Bill's title, Waiting for the Holy Spirit, is a very good title, and I think we need to look at that and say, they waited for the Holy Spirit. What are we waiting for? So I have three points for you this morning. Why were the disciples told to wait, to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit? Number one. Number two, how do we wait and the discipline of waiting? And then number three, what should we expect? You think that's fair enough? I'll give you those three so you know exactly where we're going this morning. Why were the disciples told to stay and wait in Jerusalem? Number two, how do we wait and the discipline of waiting? And number three, what should we expect? Waiting. Why were the dis disciples told to wait? Well, if you look at John 37 through 39, it says, uh, it says this, By this time, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Holy Spirit hadn't been given because Jesus had not been glorified. Now, let me give you the first piece here. There may be some kind of metaphysical reuniting of Jesus with God the Father in, in some way. You see, if Jesus is on earth in the physical form, this is God in the physical form, and this Holy Spirit, or his spirit is the Holy Spirit, it's not separate from the Holy Spirit, could he possibly have removed his own spirit from himself and, and flung it around? Would he have actually been alive anymore? Just, just think with me here for a minute here. We know in our case that if our spirit leaves our bodies, it just simply means that we're dead. The glorification process for Jesus may not have been fully completed. It may have been that it would have been finished when Jesus finally reunited with God and somehow their, their two bodies become one. And Let's stop for a second here. This way of thinking isn't going to get us a whole lot of places. Have you ever thought about this, though? How is it that he had to be glorified? What was the glorification process for Jesus when he went back to the Father? We, we watched. It's good thinking process, but I think we need something more practical. And, you know, there, isn't just enough, there just isn't enough information in the body for us to discern exactly what God's metaphysical, what, what the spiritual really looks like. We struggle with the spiritual all the time ourselves, right? What is my spirit, you know? When I'm talking to you on the phone, okay, I'm talking to your, I hear your voice, but I don't know what you, you know, am I talking to your body? Would, would I be able to talk to you without hearing your body? I, I'm hearing your voice. Is that you? I, I, don't, I don't know. I just know that who you are is more than just what I see. That I do know. And I know that God is more than, than what I can see. That's for sure. So, how are we mortals supposed to figure out the, me the physical, metaphysical makeup of God? I, said, I wrote here, there certainly isn't enough information in Scripture. We know that God is spirit and that our primary makeup is also spiritual as well. And yet we exist in a physical world which isn't our final home. So let's move on to safer territory. Let's go to what we know. Here's what we do know, okay? You're with me, right? So you want to get into those metaphysical debates? Have at it. I don't know exactly what God looks like. I don't know when I die what the spiritual really looks like. I got to know that it's more beautiful, more real than what I'm seeing now. But that's okay. Let's, let's, do, let's go to what Scripture says and what we know. 
because it's a really cool story. I was actually, uh, I was actually really reawakened to what was going on. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, this reference to a few days, the disciples would have known what was going on. They knew exactly the time of the year it was. They're Jewish people. They know, <clears throat> they know, being Jewish, exactly what celebration was coming up in a few days. It's called Shavuot. Okay? Shavuot. Um, what, what Shavuot was, so in the Jew, on the Jewish calendar, you have Passover, right? Gloria, am I putting you guys to sleep? Just, okay, just stay. Okay, so th there's the Jewish calendar, and there's celebrations that all Jewish people would, would adhere to. The one that you all know about probably is Passover, right? Okay, at Passover, think way back with me to Moses. Back in Moses, when they were getting ready to leave Egypt, before they left, the final night, they were all waiting in a room and they had killed the slaughtered lamb, killed the, 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 the perfect lamb, and they had painted the blood on the doorpost. And they were waiting for the end of the night when Pharaoh would finally come out and say, Get out of here, you can leave. This is the Passover, you're good to go. That was incredibly important. And they would celebrate, every, all Jews would celebrate that. That was a huge celebration because it was freedom. Now, 50 days, 50 days after Shavuot, they would be celebrating, oh, sorry, 50 days after Passover, they'd be celebrating Shavuot. And Shavuot was the feast of ingathering. It was the feast of weeks. And what it simply meant was this. Every, every Jew, every, every person who was Jewish or who was a convert to Judaism, not Christianity, became Jew, they, every good male anyway, would be in Jerusalem at that time and they'd be bringing their first fruits of all their crops, 50 days after, 50 days exactly after Passover. Four, and it's called the Feast of Weeks because it's seven, seven, seven weeks. You can do the math, right? Seven times seven is 49, plus one. They add the day, and you'll, you'll read in here in Acts, when, Acts says, and when the fullness of Shavuot had come. Oh, no, it says Pentecost. Pentecost is only... Pentecost is only the Greek word for Shavuot. That, that's all it is. So it says, when, it says when Pentecost came, they were all there. I thought Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit came. No, Pentecost was Shavuot. It was the celebration of weeks. They would bring in the very first fruits of their crops, and really they were telling God, look, thank you so much for providing for us. You are awesome. And here's what you have given us, and we're, going, we're, we're, we're just expecting more. Thank you very much. We're expecting more. And it was a celebration. All Jews would do that. And this was a few days away. So we know that Jesus was around for about 40 days, right? He was, he, after his death and resurrection, he was around for about 40 days, showing himself to people. And then he said, at some time during there, he says, listen, in a few days... In a few days, I'll be leaving. And I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there for the gift. 
Well, that's interesting. You are supposed to give gifts, or you're supposed to bring gifts to God. They're supposed to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, what's interesting with Shavuot uh, is that people from the surrounding regions would come to Jerusalem. Actually, if you turn to Acts chapter 2, here's the kind of people that were there that, that had come for this religious festival. There were Parthians, there were Medes, there were Elamites, or Elamites, however you want to uh, pronounce it. There were Mesopotamians, there were Judeans, there were Cappadocians, Pont Pontians, there were Asians, Phrygians, Pamphylians, Egyptians, there were Libyans, there were Cyrenes, there were Romans, there were Cretans, Arabs. It's just an amazing diverse culture that we're gathering in, in Jerusalem at this time. And God knew exactly what he was doing, and they'd all come to Jerusalem to celebrate Shavuot, or Pentecost. You know, I always thought Pentecost, you know, it says that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. I'm going, well, yeah, Pentecost means the Holy Spirit's coming. No, it doesn't. It means 50, and it means the celebration of, of weeks. So what was God doing? Why were they supposed to, why were they told to come and wait? Well, the situation had to be right. Uh, what I haven't told you, what else was happening, that the Jews today celebrate and would remember at Shavuot, the Jews were also remembering, and they celebrated because they believed that Shavuot, 50 days after Passover, was the time when God actually gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. You find that interesting. There's... God, they celebrate, say, this is, this is when God gave his list of rules, his list of how we should live to the people at Shavuot. This is what they celebrated as well. This is what the Jewish tradition is. Nowhere in the, is it found in the Bible. But the Jews today, who are not Christians, still celebrate Shavuot, and this is what they celebrate. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He gave them to us. Now we know how to live and how to live well. Do you not find it interesting that at Pentecost, the very same celebration that God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. No longer are you, do you need the Ten Commandments. I'm going to actually take my spirit, put them inside of you, and you are going to have a way to live, and I'm going to write them on your hearts and on your souls so that you know and you hear from me in a way that you haven't before. What an amazing change. This is why they were told to wait, but not only was this the reason that they were told to wait, is they're told to, think about it, what, what happened at Pentecost or at Shavuot, what happened is all these people are gathered in the upper room and they are told to wait for the time to be right. You know, God's timing is absolutely amazing. I think the timing was crucial. Why God didn't tell the disciples was exactly, <clears throat> what God didn't tell the disciples exactly was why he was making them wait. As a matter of fact, they had been confused about Jesus' timing all along. If you look back at John 16, verse 16, you've got to come with me there. Because timing has always been difficult to understand from, 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 uh, from, from this kind of a, from a God perspective. We just have, have struggles because Peter wrote this in Peter. He said, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. Really what he's saying is, you know, God's timing is God's timing. You really... There isn't a formula. Those, those who are looking for a formula. But look at how, how the disciples were struggling with, with, with God's timing and waiting. 
go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 16. To look at my notes. I could have gone to my other, my other, my online Bible thing there, but that's okay. It says this. Uh, Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He says this. All that I'll start at verse fifteen. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that's why I said, the Spirit will take what is mine and make it known to you. He said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. <clears throat> timing is, God's timing is, is, is very difficult to understand. Actually, in the text, uh, that you read in Acts chapter 1, uh, there was, there was uh, an allusion to time. Uh, Luke alluded to time. And uh, he said something like this. He said, um, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized water with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. So don't worry about the timing. You're misunderstanding the timing. God's working with the timing. He'll get it right. You don't need to worry. Um, so, J.R.R. Tolkien, I don't know if you guys allow your kids to watch movies or whether you do very much, but I, some of you might have heard of The Lord of the Rings and J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, in the movie scene, in, in the movie, they, they just got it so incredibly right. Uh, it, it's, it's just, abs it, it's wonderful. So, Gandalf, <clears throat> the wizard, is supposed to come for, for uh, Bilbo's 111st birthday. He's supposed to come for his birthday. And the birthday celebrations are all being prepared. And the scene opens up with Gandalf riding in his, in his cart, humming a tune. And all of a sudden, on a ledge above the road... Bilbo, Gandalf's nephew, or not Gandalf, uh, uh, sorry, Frodo, Bilbo's nephew is there, and he's looking down, and he's, he's upset. He looks down at Gandalf, and he says, Gandalf, you are late. And Gandalf replies like this. He said, a wizard is never late. He always shows up exactly when he means to. And Frodo breaks into a grin, and he jumps off the ledge right into Gandalf's arms. I think that's the, that's the that, if you're ever looking for a time, trying to figure out God's timing, I think that's the best, the best picture I've ever seen. He, he always does exactly what he, what he does, and he does it exactly at the right time. And Shavuot was just the right time. All these people coming, and this is when he's going to pour out his spirit. He knows exactly what he's doing, and it's exactly the right time. But don't you worry about it, he says here. Don't you worry about it. Hey, now I want you to engage with me here. 
I want you to think about in Scripture as we move to point number two. Waiting in Scripture. Can you tell me some time when, sometimes that you remember, maybe in the Bible, when people had to wait? Can you think of some? Sorry, Abraham and Sarah. Wow, that's a, that's a big one, Bill. Abraham and Sarah, they were waiting for their son. And how did that go for them? Right, right. They tried to interject and, and tell God how the timing should work, and God's going, no. Right, right, good one. Can you think of another one? And it, look, it doesn't, it, this can be, this is pretty broad. There's, there's so much. P- sorry? Oh, Queen Esther, yeah. What was her waiting thing? Yeah, what's going to happen, right? Wow, that's another, yeah, amazing. Thank you, those are two. Simeon and Anna, yeah. Wow, that, these are things, I didn't, I didn't think of any of these. Here, Simeon and Anna, they were waiting for, 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 for the redemption of, of Israel. They were waiting for Jesus' birth. Simeon, like, well, now I can finally die in peace, <laughs> right? Wow. Anybody else? King David. King David. Oh, boy. That's a, how many times does, does he say, does, does he talk about waiting and waiting and waiting? You look at the, you read the Psalms, Psalm 26. Be still and know that I am God. Wait, wait. Uh, yeah, there's so many. Thank you. Oh, if you think of a scripture passage that has waiting. Yeah, this is, this is a, waiting is such a huge theme in the, not only a theme, I think it is, it is, an, it is, it is so labeled, um, the, Bi- the Bible is so laden with waiting that it's just amazing. So, somebody else that has to wait. David, how many times he's waiting, he's anointed as a kid, and, and be, before he ever gets to, he's told he's going to be king, but before he ever gets to be king, he, you know, he's nearly killed how many times, and, and Saul wants to kill him, and, and he's, just the waiting process has got to be, cru- got to be terrible, di- very difficult. Anybody else you can think of? I'm sure, look, there's tons, right? Yeah, right. Okay, how how would Joseph, when he was in prison, what do you think he was doing? God gave me this vision when I was a kid, and now I'm in prison? Like, like you look, and, and waiting all this time, and for what? Um, any other? I like David. I'm sure, I'm sure there's tons more. Isaiah, I'm surprised that we didn't sing this song this morning, Isaiah chapter 40. It goes something like this. You, you know the song, right? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Right? Wait, Isaiah says, look, waiting is so important. Um, he, actually wrote, he actually wrote about waiting. In, uh, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 14, he said this. He said, in repentance and rest is my salvation. In quietness and trust is my strength. And then in the next breath, he says, but you guys wouldn't listen. You were supposed to wait for God. You were supposed to wait and let him do his work. You were supposed to trust him because trusting is part of waiting. 
and you refused to. You took matters into your own hands, and that's so simple to do. So I think waiting, when, you, when Bill gave me that title, waiting for the Holy Spirit, I think, no, we're not waiting the way they were. We believe that we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit now. We're not waiting for that part of the Holy Spirit, but we are waiting as a discipline. I think the discipline of waiting, I think it is the, it is the essential it is the essential exercise that we do in spiritual weightlifting and spiritual building. The essential one. I think it's that important. Throughout scripture, Moses, Moses was going to take things in, take life into his own hands and he was actually going to save the people of Israel because he recognized his calling when and after he killed the Egyptian, then he took off and he said, well, forget that noise. I guess that didn't work. And God had a waiting process that would last years and years. And in that waiting time, there was a spiritual building that he needed. So, I think, I think there is just so much that we need to do. And, and the question is obviously, so how do we wait? How are we able to wait and if there's a discipline of waiting when 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 David writes in Psalm 46 verse 10 he says be still and know that I am God and Isaiah writes that same thing in quietness and trust is your strength Isaiah 40 verse 30 they that wait upon the Lord what is waiting what are they supposed to do how exactly is it spiritual building well let me give you some of the things that I have written. Let me tell you what it's a bit like. I think this waiting, if you think waiting is doing nothing and being anxious in the meantime, I think we are so incredibly wrong. Waiting works like this. I think it's like waiting to be married. Uh, ladies, you know exactly what I'm talking about. After you've been engaged, you just go, wow, this is awesome, and you sit on a chair and go... Yeah, you know, that day will come and you just put it on the shelf and forget about it, right? <laughs> no. Any woman that's ever become married or engaged, they know that. Are you serious? You know what the thing on the front of your frontal lobe is? Wedding planning. Right? And, and, and wedding. And the wedding. You wake up in the morning, oh, I'm getting married on that day. And you start thinking, you start planning. And this is going to happen and that's going to happen. Men, we're not as good with this one, okay? That's, that's, that's okay. But women know. Like, it's not that it, 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 it goes away from your mind and you forget about it the day. Oh, look at that. Today's the day I get married. Right? Come on. That never happens. It just can't happen. You, like, it's just there all the time. Women understand that. Um, it's just, it's there, it pervades. You're not inactive when you're wait, waiting to get married. You're actively doing stuff. You're, you're, you're working, you're, you're preparing. That's what waiting looks like. I can't help but think about when I was a kid waiting for Christmas. Does anybody, has anybody, kids, have you ever gotten excited about Christmas before? Oh, man. When I was a kid, I will remember that one of the things that had to happen before Christmas could come this was the time, not, we didn't do spring cleaning. My, this is the time in Saskatchewan because it was cold. She, my mom would be washing the walls and she says, oh, this, this has to get cleaned. Are you kidding? That is clean? I'm cleaning walls. I'm go I was so excited about Christmas. Of course, if, my, if cleaning walls is what, I will wash walls with my mom. I remember laying under that Christmas tree. You know those, those balls that, that hang down? 
those Christmas balls, if you look up into them and you go, oh, you know, your mouth goes like, you know, like, oh, Christmas. It just couldn't come soon enough. Wait, you know, you're thinking, well, you forgot all about Christmas. Are you kidding? The one thing that's on my mind was Christmas. I could, you say, well, you're forgetting. Uh, forget, forget. <laughs> like, there's not even a possibility of forgetting. Are you kidding? Wow. And this is, the, this is exactly what, what waiting is about. You know, the disciples are gone, gone up to Jerusalem. They're waiting for the gift, and they're going, don't know if, it, if or when it's going to happen. Let's just forget about it. Let's go back to work and do everything that we always did. Well, they did, but they were... They, they did, but they didn't. They were preparing. They, 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 it was there. It was in their mind. So here's what, what waiting is and what it looks like. What does it do for you? It does not create anxiety, but it rather gives strength. R- really, this is, this is spiritual building. Strength, like, like doing weights. Um, Isaiah writes this. I know, th- I know our NIV has just changed the word. It says, those whose hope in the Lord... And the Greek word isn't hope, it actually is literally wait, literally wait. I shouldn't, I think that's a translation that I don't think we should make. I think we should stick with waiting because I think waiting actually helps us to, helps us to connect it with all the waiting that happens in the Bible. So just leave it. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. It gives strength. It gives spiritual energy to accomplish with ease those tasks that need to be accomplished in relationships, in building. It gives perseverance. It helps us to stay the course. Waiting does. Waiting is actually what gives hope substance. I think hope is actually the idea. Waiting is the action or the discipline that gives life to hope. Waiting is not doing nothing it renews us. It sharpens our vision to see where God is at work and what he is doing. It's through waiting that we see God's heart for people. It's through waiting. So what does waiting look like? Well, George Muller says this. Uh, let me go back to George Muller. Uh, Muller, I think. George Muller. Uh, he wrote, his, his quote goes like this. <clears throat> Um, he said, the spirit and the word must be combined. I look to the spirit alone. Without the word, I lay myself open to great delusions. If the Holy Spirit guides us at all, he will do it according to the scripture and never contrary to, the, to them. You know, I'm back to that thing that I talked about last, uh, last time I was here. In my waiting... In that time that I set aside saying to the Lord, this is when I am waiting to hear from you. I'm waiting to just be in your presence. I think scripture can be open beside us and we can actually be meditating on it. I think it's hugely important not to remove scripture from the waiting process. I read it and I go, look, I don't understand your timing, God, but I know that it's always right. I know that you always get it right, and I know that you are telling me to wait, and that develops patience and perseverance and courage and strength. Waiting can do that? That's what the Bible says. That's what I'm telling you. And this is the most practical part. This is the one that should be the biggest part of my message. This is number two. How to wait. 
how to set apart that time and say, God, this is for you and this is for you only. I have nothing else but to sit and to listen. I will read your word, but I want to be still the way David said. I want to meditate on your word. Those are all things that I can do in that, little in that time frame. Some of us may start with two minutes. We as men, I tell you, in, in our lives, we, we, we don't realize often the importance of carving this out because we think that that other action part, that working part, is still way more important. But Jesus goes, you know, I made the disciples wait for my gift of the Holy Spirit. I've made waiting a discipline throughout history. What makes you think it's any different if you wouldn't discipline yourself to wait on me, to listen? And I'll be the one who does the, act, the acting. You actually can wait. I'll stop there with that. And I'll finish with the last one. What should we expect? What should we expect from the work of the Holy Spirit? If it's not giving you gold teeth, gold fillings, if it's not angel uh, feathers, if it's, not, if it's not all the other things, the, the blowing of the Holy Spirit or uncontrollable holy laughter, if it's not those things, what are we waiting for? There, there has to be something. In Acts chapter 2 you, you, have, you, you have me because this is one of my, this is one of my, my the, the topics. This is where Pentecost comes in. And this is where the biggest thing happens and people just misread this text. They misread it so badly. Here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is Acts chapter 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now were those who were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, they heard this sound. And a great crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them had heard, heard them speaking in his own language. And utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near, uh, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And some, however, made fun of them and said they've, been, they've had too much wine. Let me just unpack this a little bit. What, what, are, what, did, what happened and what are we to expect? Well, what happened, uh, I find it interesting that the, the same group, let me go back, the same group says that the sign that you've actually received the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues. And I look at this passage and I'm going, well, where do you find that? Because it's not in this passage. And you're going, Randy, how did you not see that in this passage? Well, number one, let me say this to you. The, the, the problem of tongues over in 1 Corinthians is not something that's happening here at all. That's a Greek word called glossolalia, and it's not present here. Hear the word, for, hear the word when you hear tongues is just different languages. And it says that everybody that had gathered, they heard, first of all, they heard this incredible blowing of the wind. And then the other sign that the Holy Spirit had showed up was these tongues of fire on their head. I don't see those two, sung, those two signs being preached anymore as the sign of, that you have the Holy Spirit because I've never seen it. Honestly, I've never seen it before. I would have to tell you that I've never seen the Holy Spirit on anybody in my life then. 
I mean, I mean absolutely never. But I do know that there's people who say, no, no, because we've never seen that, there must be the gift of tongues. But that's not happening in this text at all. And I was speaking with one guy, and he said to me, listen, it is because you can tell they say in this text that they were accused of being drunk. They couldn't understand. And I said, well, there's a huge problem with this. Number one, these people that had gathered from all these nations, what they heard was intelligible. It wasn't gobbledygook, or it wasn't a different language they didn't. Everyone was hearing the gospel in their own language. This is absolutely amazing. Everyone was hearing the gospel in their own language for the first time in history. This is, this is, this is the fulfillment of all scripture that everybody gets to hear. Have you ever, I don't know about you, I've, I, I had the opportunity when I was doing property management, talking to people uh, who were under the influence of alcohol, and they were, some of them were, were high on drugs, and inevitably, because they knew I had been a pastor, inevitably, you know what they wanted to talk about? Spiritual stuff. And I'm going, are you kidding? This isn't the time to tell you about Jesus. You're drunk. Why do you want to talk about spiritual stuff? It's not going to have any impact on you. And it, it didn't happen once or twice. It happened lots of times. That yeah, I'm going, And I was frustrated because I, I always thought, this is the time when they want to hear, they want to talk about Jesus, and it's the time when they're probably the, most, the least influenced by the gospel. The thing about being drunk is they were bold. That's the one thing that drunkenness does to a person. It gives you a boldness. You say things you just don't, you probably wouldn't say otherwise. I don't, I don't know because I have, I, honestly, I guess that wasn't part of my upbringing. Maybe, maybe it, you say you should, you should have at least indulged a few times, but um, and that's just not to my credit. It was a part of my limited, I guess my pretty naive growing up years. Oh, it was so bad, it was wrong to have any alcohol, so I didn't. Sorry, just rather, but I have no problem. This isn't the thing. I'm not saying go get drunk and find out. That's not what I'm saying. No, no. But, but people who are drunk are just bold. They say things that, and that's what, that's what this text is going on. They're saying, oh man, there's people here. They'd been stuffed up in a room. They were not saying. Now all of a sudden they come out and guess what? They're starting to tell us the gospel in our own language. That's why he's saying, are they drunk? It can't be that they were, they were speaking in this weird language because they all understood. They all understood it was intelligent language. So, what, is the, what should we expect? Should we, what should we expect from this? From this text here, I would say that with the coming of the Holy Spirit came, and here's the big point, the big one. I, I know there's lots that the Holy Spirit does. I don't know how you'd preach this without act, uh, John chapter 16 with the work of the Spirit, but from this text, you, you need to hear this. The work of the Holy Spirit is this. He gives the power to tell. Right? The power to tell. These were people who now were bold. These were people who now had the power to tell and they were actually telling the gospel and the, and the world was hearing it for the first time. The almighty wind blowing, that gathered people. The sign of the Holy Spirit was the tongues on their head. Something had happened, but they had the boldness to tell the good news. And here's what it said in Acts 1 verse 8. It already told us this was going to happen. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. People are just going to hear. Listen, this is that part of the active part of our Christian lives. I don't think you can be a Holy Spirit 
Christian or a Christian, period, you have the Holy Spirit. And something in you doesn't say, you need to tell. You really need to tell. This is, this is part of the Christian walk. And I, 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 it's something that we don't hear enough about is we need to tell. You have to. Uh, yes, we, the spirits will give. We need to wait for the Lord. Absolutely. And we need that discipline of spiritual growth. But you have to tell. And, and, the, and the, the, message, the message has to have words at some point. You know, you can, you can do all the good works, the social gospel you want, but it needs, it needs to have words. It's interesting. After this, Peter actually goes on to speak, to, to tell the gospel again. And it says that 3,000 people were added. People were hungry to hear. And it seems to me that I'm not sure that people are quite as hungry anymore. But you have to tell. You have to tell. I know so often... I wonder about the struggle of the situation as I get into some of these. You know those situations where somebody, you could turn the conversation to Jesus or it might be uncomfortable and we maybe subvert or we sort of put that, that down and we go and we don't say anything. I wonder if that's not the Holy Spirit telling us, you know what, I gave an opportunity and you could have actually turned that opportunity and my work in your life is so that you will have the power to tell. It's difficult. So what was my big idea this morning? I think those two things. As believers, we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the intentional responsibility of waiting for him for life and growth. And this means that because of the presence of the Holy Spirit... We have the power and the obligation to use that power to tell the good news. I think that's it. I think that's the message. I know you could have, we could have gone in a hundred directions, but I think that's the one I've chosen. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the, the discipline of waiting, and we are called to wait. And, and then from that waiting comes the strength and the power to tell, and we have it. And that power is God's wonderful work within us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for, for Pentecost, for Shavuot, for the time when you came in a way that you had never come before and you indwelt the, the Christian believers so that they had the power to tell. Lord, may we be waiting people, people who gain energy and strength and not anxiety and not impatience, but we gain an understanding of your goodness and of your grace through waiting. And then, because of that, we have a message. We have the power to tell because of your work in us. May this church be the church that waits on you. And may this church be the church that tells that good news to all the people that you are Lord and that you did die for our sins. In your name we pray. Amen.